You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 44, covering the Ambergris Incident, the Slaver Weapon, the Eye of the Beholder, and the Jihad, with special guest Vishal Baradwaj. Hello, friends. We have... Countrymen. Yes, we have brought you Indians. <laughs> Indians and others. We don't want to. We don't want to just uh, limit miscellaneous. it. Miscellaneous, yeah. Indians. <laughs> we have brought you um, our, our good, great friend Vishal. I'm not even going to attempt to mangle your last name. Um, Vishal of the Bharadwajin. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> right, the guy who made our awesome logo. That guy. Yes, such me. Um, th- and we, we've we've thanked you many times on on Twitter and and without you being here, but I wanted to say to your to your microphone face, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it it seriously is the most badass logo. Yeah, you're you're helping us really push some t-shirts, and we do appreciate that. Mm. You're welcome. I I really enjoyed making it. Excellent. Okay, um, you have joined us to review some uh, some animated episodes, and like the other suckers we've gotten since we started doing the animated series, you're doing two, and we're only doing mm. one each. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really sweet racket we worked out. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll be done with the animated series next week. Did you realize yeah. that? <laughs> we just started. All right. Uh, Matt, why don't, without any, um, without much more ado, why don't you tell people about the Ambergris element? Yes. Uh, so the Enterprise is examining the planet Argos, a mostly underwater world, complete with cheap cheeps and schools of bloopers, to learn more about its ongoing sequakes. Apparently this research will provide help to a planet identical to Argos elsewhere in the Federation, proving once again that everything in space is really similar. While riding around in the frankly awesome Enterprise submarine, Kirk and friends are attacked by a betentacled iguana monster. It destroys the submarine and then kidnaps Spock and Kirk. The Enterprise crew goes looking for them in his speedboat, because of course the Enterprise has a speedboat, and eventually finds them washed up on the shore struggling to breathe. Apparently the jerk-ass inhabitants of this planet have chained Kirk and Spock into fish people with webbed Dan Aykroyd-like hands and invisible gills. <laughs> Bones sticks them in Sickbay's giant fish tank. Of course Sickbay has a giant fish tank, along with a little treasure chest that makes bubbles. After they fail to find a cure and Kirk tires of sharing a phone booth-sized tank with Spock, the two return to Argos to look for the sea people what done this to them. Uh, they eventually find the kelp-haired, giant-belted sea folk who greet them in the traditional Argos manner of capturing the two crewmen in nets. After a lot of arguing, the sea dwellers agree to cure Spock and Kirk until Scotty shows up and ruins everything. Sea people turn, change their minds and sentence Kirk and Spock to die by reverse drowning. Uh, they refuse to actually kill the two of them, so instead they just strand them on land, which is like not killing someone by throwing them into the ocean without a boat. That shit is ice cold, sea people. Anyway, some other sea lady type shows up and offers to help them if they'll help her look for the lost city of Atlantis, which is really lost if it's on another fucking planet. After some vague looking and a short song by folk legend Donovan, they find the city and also the Dead Sea Scrolls perfectly preserved in water. The scrolls reveal the secret of Kirk and Spock's mutation. Their veins are now full of precious ambergris. And they can reverse the cell yeah, and they can reverse the spell by stealing some saliva from that tentacle iguana thing from before. Which they do. Using nets. <laughs> they return the saliva to the Enterprise and Bones works on a cure, which briefly turns Kirk into both the Hulk and a lizard man with a Zoidbergian boner fin on his back. Uh, then it cures him. And also Spock. Uh, that out of the way, the Enterprise fires phasers at Argos until its earthquakes stop and its city rises from the depth. Good work, everyone. 
Okay, here's the most amazing thing about that summary. I was sure that since you picked the uh, the underwater episode that it would be Jaws quote, Jaws quote, Jaws quote. And Trust me, I, I spent a long time trying to put any Jaws quotes I could find in here. Yeah, and I don't really see fit. any. Unless unless they went over my head, I don't see any at all. I have never seen Jaws, so I can't comment. Oh! I, I envy you. I don't even mind the movie. It's, it's a pretty decent movie, but uh, it's one of those things that Matt has driven so far into the ground and into the sea and under the sea that I don't care to ever see it again. <laughs> The only sea monster movie I've seen is Deep Rising. So, oh well, that's a good one too. Yeah, I don't. Which one is that? Is that the super um, intelligent shark one? It's the no, Stephen Deep Sommers sea. one. Oh. Which? It's this. It's this uh, cruise ship that gets attacked by this many tentacle alien sea beast thing, and Jade Williams is in it. And, oh well, there you go. And Famke Jensen. The, wow. the the woman who did my original tattoo design well, mm-hmm. use that movie as the basis i didn't oh, find so that out until much later <laughs> you should have used the uh the tentacled iguana from this episode i w- well if i had known at the time i would have that thing I'd, kicked ass frankly if i were to get a tattoo based on anything from this episode it would be the enterprise speedboat <laughs> oh that boat is beautiful the aqua oh, shuttle i think yeah they they gave it a proper name and it has a little uh, registry number and everything it's like NCC yeah. 1701 and a half or something mm. like that. It, it's it's very Jerry Anderson very like Thunderbirds. Yeah. Yeah see I know I know Vishal you're uh, you do a lot of visual stuff you you know your way around some design so uh I know, hope. If, if you appreciate this then uh, <laughs> well I mean I've I've seen you know your work and I've seen you have a like a a photo blog where you um you show off stuff that you find visually interesting. So, I mean, you have a good eye for this stuff. So it's kind of like uh, last week, uh, my friend Bob, same deal. He's, he's done a lot of visual stuff. So yeah. when guys like you say that's really cool, it's like, okay, now I don't feel so stupid. <laughs> Somebody who knows what he's talking about says that's cool, so it must be cool. My opinion on, is justified. Yes. <laughs> on the other hand, we have the Enterprise dinghy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was less impressive. I, I always wondered, I, I don't know if you guys ever looked at the... It, it, I know Matt has. Michelle, I don't know if you're the level of Star Trek nerd. You probably are, uh, to have read the uh, the Next Gen Technical Manual. But there's uh, always so... that page about the captain's yacht. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it's like, you see the little like line drawing, but you're not really sure what it is or what it's for. And I always wondered, maybe this is the maybe. captain's yacht. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it, the original series, baby. Yeah, I mean, it, or maybe it's just spelled yacht and it's pronounced throat wobbler mangrove. <laughs> I, I look so. at it and I just think to myself, that thing really needs a giant fan on the back so they can mm. cruise through the Everglades effectively. Well, when they go to Swamp Planet, mm-hmm. then they could do that. Level four Swamp World. Yeah. Yes, but it's the future. If you're going to have a, a dinghy like that, you need like a huge honking nacelle on the back. <laughs> Except if I understand the way their technology works correctly, you need two of them. You can't have one nacelle. You have to have two. For, for balance, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This of, of the episodes that we did this week, this was probably the weakest, I would say. It's, um, it, it was fucking yeah. goofy. I'd say, I don't think it's bad. I think it's a very it's, standard episode of the animated series. I think it's just it, kind of typical. It's almost Hanna-Barbera if, you know, the little more people were, like, running around the ocean floor in a repeating background. <laughs> like some snorks or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, snorks. I'm trying to think. Uh, Jabberjaw. They did that one too. Um, what other what other underwater cartoons? I'm, I'm didn't they do Sea Labs? Mm, they may have done. I think they did the original Sea Lab. They must have because it was in the 70s and there was only filmation in Hanna Barbera. Yeah, as I know. Yeah. So they must have done. 
Well, now I gotta so look that up and grind the show to a halt. Again. Pod six is jerks. <laughs> yes, Hanna Barbera. Okay, good. Glad we got that settled. Yeah, I, and I'm sure any any undersea shows made by Filmation recycled elements from this. Mm-hmm. Because they that's what they do. I'm well, sure I mean, He-Man I... must have done an underwater episode. I mean, all like all of the sort of non main crew members all look like they're out of something else. Yeah, the the way the the design of the people, like the you know the way their eyes look and the way yeah, they, yeah is definitely a different kind of template. The ancient Lieutenant Clayton from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lieutenant should be you know like after an ensign. I think I don't know if they ever do lieutenant junior grade, but you know, lieutenant is still should be a young guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the way they drew that guy, he looked like. Uh, <sighs> Look like somebody's I th- grandpa. I think it's like an alternate timeline. You know, there's a next generation episode where Picard, you know, does something <laughs> different and becomes an ensign. Yeah, tapestry where he's still yeah. he's still like sixty years old and yeah. Yeah. So in that's an this guy he fucked with Q. Clayton. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is to you. <laughs> or maybe that's uh, ensign sad sex like father or something. <laughs> that's uh, something something we we meant to mention last week. Ensign Sadsack, who we mentioned on uh, Brian Lynch's episode a couple of weeks ago, has his own Twitter account now. He's become sentient. Yep. Oh, excellent. Yeah, once and, uh, again, our ability to bring people to life. Yeah, very strange. But he's uh, he's quite a delight. And mm-hmm. uh, if you if you get a chance, you should follow him because uh, quite a music. Are you back? No. Michelle? It yes. says you're back. Ah, yes, okay. sorry. I, I don't know. It just like bumped me off for some reason. That's uh, okay. So, we've tired of your antics, Michelle. Yeah, you're fired. Bye-bye. <laughs> no! Um, so lonely! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just had some technical difficulties, and uh, <laughs> Michelle has found himself being so lonely. <laughs> so where were we? I was talking about the um, when they when they mutated to grow an extra set of eyelids. So apparently that means uh, three sets of eyelids for, for Spock mm. now. Mm. So many eyelids. He can close his eyes so many times. And then, you know, every time he does that, Christine Chapel swoons extra. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Christine. Oh, Christine. <laughs> and her sweet medical summary. <laughs> so I don't know. This is just kind of dumb. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've gone on record as saying I'm not, I'm not super keen on... Episodes where they turn into stuff, but uh, there, there was some okay stuff. Like I liked, I liked the look of the undersea people and yeah, and their, with their kelp their hair and, and their and giant yeah. belts. And like we said, Although, the, the boats. At one point, uh, someone, one of the females, swims into the the sort of tribunal, and she's here's this strange Russian accent for only one line. <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't. Know, maybe they like uh, try to try a different voice and like, nope, that's not working. We're not going to go. <laughs> yeah, fix that, I. Uh... <laughs> Let's move on. Listen, time is money. So basically, she was briefly Russian. I don't see the problem. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> they're, um, when, when they first went under, there's this nice sort of wavy effect. So you know that you're underwater and there's bubbles. And then, I don't know, three minutes later, they decide. Up. Yeah. They're <laughs> like, no, nah, this is too thing. much work. You guys not, get it, right? This. They're in the sea? Okay, good. Yeah. We're not they applying this effect to the entire them. episode. Now you would think there would be you know like a this kind of thing or maybe like the gargly like oh, merman the thing merman or... speech yeah but now everything's just or the old trick where they'd actually sort of put a curtain of water and then film it through that <laughs> do they do they ever do that um I think they did for this you know 
for specifically for underwater shots i've seen it on like older cartoons and i think some oh. of the hanna barbaras did that nice so for things I mean, like rain assume... and sure no I, I assume guys like mel blank can just make their voices sound like they're underwater you know mm. on command yes. they don't need they don't need those effects but yeah other guys maybe not so much Decay was yeah. excellent at making it sound like he was underwater. <laughs> Decay wasn't even in this one, was he? Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah, just just kind of standard, I thought. Nothing mm-hmm. nothing great, but nothing yeah. bad. Any, you guys have anything more to say about this one? Or? There's this one line in when Mecca is doing his uh, examination of him where he blames Kirk's hormones for the mutation, and well, we all know about that. <laughs> <laughs> they, blame, they blame Kirk's hormones for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so, I think. <laughs> Uh huh. Turn into a fish, huh, huh Jim? Would you screw so this you wanna, time? So you want to nail a fish broad? Is that it? <laughs> That's how this works. <laughs> I'm actually surprised he didn't fall for any. <laughs> there were a couple. Yeah. Oh, Bones, you don't understand. She caught me in her net. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And Vishal, you had a you had a nice uh, note. I don't want to take credit for it or anything, but you had a nice note about one of them. So can't we do anything without consulting the oh, ancient yes. records? <laughs> Yes, uh, I think that's an inside joke by Filmation employees against all that stock footage usage. <laughs> that, that actually feels like a Futurama line to me. Like, yes. do we, really? Do we have to consult the ancient records again? Again? Actually, it kind of reminds me of, uh, what was it, the uh, the Hank Scorpio episode of uh, The Simpsons. You always say, I don't want to take a chance. I want to take a chance. <laughs> kind of reminds me of that. Uh, any Anything else? Or ready to push forward? I, I think well, we can move on. On the pet peeve side, I keep wondering about, you know, the Prime Directive and them bringing up those uh, merfolk to the ship and, you know, like, oh, hey, yeah, look at their, their ship. With, with their, like, Na- Namor-esque water helmets. Yeah. You know, I think, how, how many um, animated episodes is this for us now? I mean, we've done uh, quite a few. I would say 12 to 16 now. I don't remember them mentioning the Prime Directive once in the animated yeah. series. I think it's been rescinded. Mm. I think they just give up. Like, fuck it, Kirk. Do what you want. That's fine. It's like that warp five speed limit, you know. In the later ones, they're just like, "Ah, who, who cares?" Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Warp five, it... whatever. We're in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, need to get rid of the space department. <sighs> no, you know what? Just stay there. The speed limit is warp one. You just you, you stay there. <laughs> Fucking Janeway. If you go uh, over warp five, you turn. <laughs> if you go over warp five, you turn into a lizard, and then you have to have sex with Janeway. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Warp one, it is. <laughs> You know, impulse speed, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, Matt, you got an alternate title for this one? Uh, yes. Mine was, shockingly, uh, the precious hamburgers element. <laughs> of course. Uh, and a quote? Precious hamburgers. Precious hamburgers? And uh, my quote was <laughs> that very uh, that very issue about the sea, about one of the sea guys complaining about how they're always consulting the ancient texts. Can we do nothing without consulting the ancient records? Very well. He's a rocker. He doesn't care for their rules. So. <laughs> All right, pushing on to mine, uh, the slaver weapon, which is actually uh, my favorite episode of the animated series, one of my favorite Star Trek episodes overall. Um, so Spock, Sulu, and Uhura are on their way to a star base with important cargo, an artifact from Larry Niven's Ringworld universe. Oh, and they're in the never-before-seen shuttlecraft Copernicus, which leads me to assume that Spock will name the next one Einstein. <laughs> a little joke for you Back to the Future fans there. Uh, the artifact in question is the Stasis Box, which contains items that are literally billions of years old from the long-dead race known as the Slavers. 
This would all be really cool if some lazy filmation animator didn't just draw a featureless yellow box rather than something cool and high-tech looking. Jerks. The thing starts glowing, indicating that it's near another stasis box. Except that filmation can't even get that right, and it looks like somebody sprayed Windex on the cell. Alright, I'm gonna stop bitching now. The shuttle lands on an icy planetoid, which, it's a be which ends up being a Kazinti encampment. The Kazinti... Well, they're really cool in the Ringworld books, a lot like Klingons we would come to know in later Trek series. Warrior race, highly honorable. Only, again, this is Filmation, so we get cats with goldfish bowls over their heads. <laughs> oh, and they put, some, they put them in something called a police web, which is basically a pentagon in the floor that, trust us, they can't move out of. Because uh, they're certainly not going to show you anything that looks like it's actually constraining oh, them. Oh, of course not. No. Um, the Kazindi have no respect for women or vegetarians, so they do all their talking through Sulu. They open the box and see a picture of a slaver, I guess. It's some kind of cyclop lizard thing, which Matt laughed at almost as hard as he does when I mentioned the devil. <laughs> also in the box, a billion-year-old piece of meat. <laughs> so, you know, insert 7-Eleven hot dog joke here, I suppose. Uh, finally, it contains a multi-purpose device that can turn into anything from a telescope to a nuclear bomb. The second half of the episode involves the device passing back and forth between the two camps before finally being destroyed. I could have gone into more detail, I guess, but the more I have to talk about Filmation ruining this script, the closer I get to openly weeping. And nobody needs to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the idea of the stasis box. I think it's a really cool sort of concept. I like anything that deals with the fact that the universe is either incredibly vast or incredibly old. Yes. Like the fact that there have been sentient species long before us yep. that have died out and life had to evolve all over again. That's really neat. I also... Somebody mentions that there's a there's a they found a stasis box that someone tossed a put a grenade in after pulling the pin, which means yeah, that some douchebag a billion yeah. years ago was just like fuck <laughs> you the future. <laughs> yeah, you would think oh. they would want to encourage people to find their artifacts. But, uh, <laughs> oh, no, the, pin, the pin is in another box. <laughs> Let's see if you can find them both. Uh -huh. So the slavers were from IKEA. <laughs> I, I like that, you know, they have a billion-year-old piece of meat. What I don't <laughs> like is that the the very heavily meat-eating race doesn't just look at it and go, mmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I do like that the Kazinti, like, this is one of the, the Larry Nivens things, and it's from, like I said, from his Discworld books. This basically was lifted right from that world of his books. Yeah. Um, they changed a few names and things, but um, it works really well, I think. Mm. Um, but the Kazinti in, in those books are... He, when he designs aliens, he really thinks out the, the evolutionary um, aspects of them. He thinks like, okay, well, these guys are carnivores. They never, you know, they never evolved into omnivores. So they're a little more aggressive. They're a little more hostile and they don't respect people who eat vegetables. They mm. think they're weak. And, and so it's kind of cool. And they look, at as every, they look at everything as meat. <laughs> right, exactly. Opponents. Well, and there, there's a, there's a, the implication in the Discworld books, or <laughs> the Discworld books, the Ringworld books, <laughs> uh, that they ate the giant turtle that holds up the world. <laughs> that, uh, Nicely done. That, that, yeah, when they when they fought the, the humans in these wars that they kept losing over and over again, um, that they would actually eat them. Which uh, which I think, you know, is... The thing is, these the, the Ringworld stories pick up hundreds of years later, and so you don't know if that's just, like, a crazy myth, or if they actually did, and it's kind of makes them scarier. I think that's neat. And they, they, they kind of hint at that in this story as well. Hmm. There's a, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of 
exposition. There's a lot of, yeah. you know, uh, techno babble and stuff, yeah. but I think it works here. Yeah, that was one of my uh, notes about it. I mean, I like that all this so much exposition, so much dialogue, and, you know, it relies entirely on Spock's narration throughout it. And that gives it this really very specific mood and atmosphere that's like a real, you know, I mean, it is a proper science fiction short story. It just feels like that yeah. more than a cartoon. Yeah, and that's the thing that I've I've said from day one about Star Trek in general is, yeah. and I I feel this way throughout all the series. There's not enough hard sci-fi stories like mm. this. I think it works. This proves that this works yeah. in this world. Mm. But they and always when, go for the the soft ideas of yeah. turning into stuff or shrinking or you know crap like that. Yeah, yeah. and when they that's do like things guys... like that, when they do, you know, when they do things like Darmok or the Inner Light or you know things mm-hmm. like this, it really works. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I also really like the fact that Kirk's nowhere to be found. He's not oh, in yes. this episode at all. What a shame. One of your favorite him. episodes, lacking Kirk. Yeah. No, I um, it, it's you know my my favorite episode out of uh, the the original series, the the live action series, ended up being um, the Tholian Web, which ends in the or you know in, I think it's like the second act ends with the, the apparent death of Kirk, mm-hmm. and then he's just kind of floating around the rest of the time. So he's barely in that as well. Avenge me. <laughs> Obey me. So lonely. <laughs> but no, I, it's it's nice to see. I mean, this basically would be my dream team. You throw bones in here, and that's that's it. I mean, oh yeah. I've always liked Sulu. I've always <laughs> wanted to know more about Ahura, and yeah. who doesn't love Spock? Yeah. It is nice to see uh, Spock interact with Sulu and Uhura without bones or Kirk there as well. Yeah, that's, that's an entirely that's different true. dynamic. And it's something we've pointed out a few times. I don't know if it's ever made it to the show, but we always point it out when we're watching together. Whenever Kirk's not there and Spock's in charge, it seems like everyone gets more to do and they're more mm. respected. Yep. Yes. And at first we thought it was the writing, but the more time goes on, it seems like a deliberate choice. Yeah. Mm. Like, it seems like the, the writers know that Kirk is kind of an overbearing jerk and micromanages everything and doesn't let people do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And Spock is a little more open and lets people contribute and... I mean, that's what yeah, it feels I, like. I, I really hope that that's what the writers are going for. It shows a in, lot. In a way, it's in a way it makes Kirk seem like not as good a leader. Yeah, like he's he's good at making the big decisions, but as far as managing people, Spock's actually better. Just because he's good at just because he's good at his job doesn't make him more, doesn't make him not a jerk. Well, right, but you know, a captain should be a good manager, and mm-hmm. I don't think he is. I don't no. think he's good dealing with people very well. well. I mean, that's obvious just in his insistence that he go down to all the landing parties. I want to see what's going on down there. (laughs) I don't want to bring my two best friends with me. Every away mission. Yes. (laughs) Every away mission should be like that. And if we need an extra body, find one, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, They address that in in Next Generation a lot, especially in the early days where, you know, Riker was always, uh, you know, complaining to Picard, you know what, you should not go on the away missions. I'm the XO, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turn, I like that they made a point of that. And in Voyager, they sort of turn about completely because I'm watching Voyager now. And Janeway is basically Kirk most of the time. She just like goes on every mission all the time. <laughs> well, isn't isn't her thing? I'm trying to you know uh, benefit it out here. We haven't gotten to that series yet, but yeah. isn't her thing that she her background was that she was a scientist first, and then she went into the yeah. command after that. So Everyone's... I could see that being her character, where she he, she's curious and it's unexplored space, and she mm-hmm. wants to get out there. Well. There's this very sort of 
yes she is a scientist but you know once in a while she claps it like supernova and nebula and this stuff and <laughs> most of the time you know when it's like oh no it's imminent danger you are going to die on this mission i must go uh, yeah that makes absolutely no sense I have to see what's going on down there <laughs> sucking we'll a little more that. helium we'll get to that in a few years yeah yeah you're certainly welcome to come help us slog through that yeah please oh yes <laughs> Um, but yeah, overall, like I said, strong sci-fi concept, cool alien race, good writer, good Mm -hmm. group of characters. Like this is, if Filmation hadn't fucked this up visually, Mm -hmm. this would be like the quintessential Star Trek episode for me. As it stands, instead of it being like a nine or a 10, it's like a six or a seven, just because the animation and the the designs are so terrible. Mm. Look, kitties. Yeah. Oh God, the police web. Yeah. That was very 60s Spider-Man cartoon. Just draw a circle around them, and uh, you can't get out of the circle. Trust us. Mr. Uh, Spock, I'm in this police web. Now let's <laughs> boogie. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I, have, I always enjoy hearing uh, non-Americans try an American accent. I keep trying to get Gav to do it, and he just won't bite. I think American accents are probably the hardest thing for me to do, at least consciously. You have to do that Python thing, that, well, hello. Well, yes. It's like, you know, we, we've we talked, especially on Twitter, about uh, India's inability to distinguish between V and W. Mm-hmm. So now whenever I'm doing an American accent, I do it like Al Gore on 30 Rock. So I say, <laughs> hark, a whale is there somewhere. <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, now that you've breached the topic, I, I, I feel comfortable doing this. I was worried I was being a little insensitive bringing it up, but uh, the, the V&W thing. So when Chekhov says nuclear vessels, that, that doesn't sound unusual. But it sounds to, funny to because Indian it's years. a funny accent anyway. Okay. <laughs> but, the, but the V&W thing, like yeah. you guys you guys don't distinguish just like Russians, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. That's... I mean, I, I can say nuclear vessels and I'm not sure whether I'm saying V or W really. I think I'm saying W, but you know. That's, there, there was a bit of a V there, but that's mm. so like the, the the bit in the uh, the 2009 movie where he's going uh, something something. Victor, Victor, yeah. <laughs> you 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 can appreciate that that's obviously exaggerated. Yeah, but but the way the way it's your language funny. is constructed, you don't. Okay, that's what I'm getting at. It's still funny. Okay, because yeah. sometimes these things don't translate. Okay, so the, but the overall point is it is still funny to you, right? Like, Chekhov oh, yes. talks funny. I, okay, that's all. I just... Because we have our own funny accent. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And, and I like to think that, you know, that that's where I'm really worried I'm crossing a line. Because it's not that I'm laughing that you talk funny. It's that I'm laughing that things are different there. And yeah. I assume you guys are laughing at us for similar reasons. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and George Takei sounds hilarious to you guys as well, right? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, my, yes. Um, so anything else about this one? <laughs> now, was that ever said about uh, about you guys, or is that just like uh, there like is a Eastern there is a Asians? book there is a book called the Inscrutable Indians, I think, or I, maybe I'm misremembering <laughs> it. Lord, but so I think I, that was sure, like, like a joke. Some people like uh, you know lump it all together, say, "Oh, hmm. well, all of, all of Asia," and then some people, "No, no, no, I'm only racist about these guys." <laughs> Okay, so very well. Um, so anything else about this one? I mean, uh... well, I like that the MacGuffin, the the slaver weapon itself, ninety percent of its settings, like most Swiss Army knives, are completely useless. <laughs> yes, you've got the. That is true. It's... 
You've got the magnifying glass, the little shitty toothpick no one wants to use. <laughs> the corkscrew, yep. which great. I'm gonna I'm gonna be opening champagne out in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but... yeah, and and they even mention that. They even they even specifically say, Well, yeah. we've already developed all of this technology except for the atom bomb one and we don't want that. <laughs> oh, come on. All right, so I mean this this episode actually is what drove me to read uh Larry Niven. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I made a pass through this series mm-hmm. a few years ago. I was like, this is really great, and I started reading his stuff. I'm like, this is this is good stuff. So I mean, definitely check that out. And um, yeah. that's that's two sci-fi authors now that, that the show has sort of indirectly recommended to me because mm-hmm. David Gerald's stuff is pretty good yes. too. And David Gerald will will appear in uh, one of Vishal's episodes here in a second. I I believe he also did one of the voices of the Tribune in the in Matt's episode. Oh, nice. Ah, I think so. Because that wasn't nearly as hilarious as mm. the. Uh, no. As, the, as the voice he'll do in, in oh, the yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, for uh, anything else, you guys? Or Well, uh, as a as a Hindu and, you know, the son of a vegetarian Brahmin, it, 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 it's very hilarious to me that uh, the Kizinti are, their greatest insult is to be kicked by a vegetarian. <laughs> All right. They have Spock kick, uh, kick the, the captain at one point. <laughs> Like I've been kicked by a vegetarian. <laughs> I'll never live this well, see, down. I, I get that that's ridiculous. Like I definitely get the laugh there, but I also kind of like that as a culture that they they really do find that insulting. Like yes, and it how is, am I going to live this down? It is sort of true to life because you know it is sort of turned on its head in you know the Indian caste system and the very strict and like the, the crazy people who actually follow that thing. You know, <laughs> you have. We did not say that. Direct all I letters to Vishal at... <laughs> yes, look, my father is descended from one of those lines of supposedly crazy people, so that's why he's vegetarian. Okay. You know. <laughs> well, does he kick people? Well, yes, I often employ him to kick people. It works out very <laughs> well. <laughs> Insulting their honor. I was like, here, take, father. Hey, you won't try that again. Get well, so you don't need same. a slaver weapon. You don't need a slaver weapon or a... Or a uh, Swiss Army knife you have your dad. Yes. You're all set. Okay, my alternate title for this episode was The Filmation Debacle. Mm-hmm. And my quote is not actually funny. It's kind of a nice little character moment uh, between uh, Spock and Uhura. Here you go. In an emergency, the Kazinti may forget a human female is an intelligent creature. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Lieutenant, I value your intelligence. So there's that. Um, oh, one other, one other quick thing. Um, Uhura mentions at one point they're they're running away, and she mentions that she used to run the mile in such and such a time or whatever. I don't know sports running, but um, that's more than I've ever learned about her backstory than any other episode I've ever seen. Yep. And that's just sad. <laughs> I used she to be used faster. To run. <laughs> yes, just <laughs> write really, that down even in her that... character biography. Uhura, not as fast as used to be. <laughs> Apart from her singing, have we learned anything else about her ever? I don't think so. <laughs> Running Kinda singer sad. had brain wiped once. Oh, right. B L U E. Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Michelle, why don't you tell the fine people about Eye of the Beholder? All right. Eye of the Beholder. Lactra 7. The Enterprise is here investigating the disappearance <clears throat> of the science ship Ariel's crew. Kirk throws a hissy fit about how the aerials officer in charge didn't do anything by the book. How Kirk's the bestest space captain who loves his ship like a woman. (laughs) 
Bones and Spock roll their eyes, and the trio beam down to the planet while ignoring Scotty's disappearing, reappearing mustache. On the surface of Lactor 7, lakes, bubbles, and gaily colored cyclopean sea monsters, quickly repelled by phasers. They head in the direction of a signal from the aerial crew, the very precise, that way. In the desert that's conveniently located next door, a dinosaur whose stolen battle cat's larynx says hello, well, <laughs> uh, only this guy really likes phasers. I mean, he really likes phasers. A little too much. But thankfully, battle cat's larynx itself doesn't. And uh, Rory the Rizzard is dispatched by a few blasts to the neck, lightly smooshing Dr. McCoy as he goes. <laughs> oh, look, now they're in a rainforest. The away team starts to wonder if all these disparate, perfect environments from other worlds right next to each other are the result of an intelligence. Or, at the very least, a sloppy sim earth player. But, oh no, here come the dick bats. Dick bats thunk against an invisible force field. They've never shown this, but, eh, well, whatever. And our heroes are snatched up by humongous pink slug things with tentacles. The slug things take them to a giant zoo full of oddities from all over the galaxy. And Spock remarks that he finds some of them strangely attractive. Hmm. Here they encounter the remaining crew of the Ariel, Lieutenant Commander Markel, Biologist Randy, and Lieutenant Nancy, who, conveniently for Kirk, is already hot and in a bed, except she's dying <laughs> of space malaria. Spock suggests that the creatures are highly advanced and telepathic, so the gang concentrate their thoughts on the medikit, which they are eventually given. Then Spock is a party pooper and reminds everyone that they're caged for life. Hooray! Maybe this has something to do with Spock discovering that the female slugs find our guys ugly. Hmm. Very lonely, that one, Spock. <laughs> Kirk plays dead and the rest concentrate their minds on getting a communicator. A little slug obliges, but in the shuffle the kid is beamed aboard the Enterprise, where Scotty and his invisible mustache are not placed at all. The slug... <laughs> The slug parents get mad and make Kirk revert to near Kirok levels of overacting, bombarding him with thoughts. Meanwhile, on the ship, Scotty lets Kid Slug push him and the ship around for a bit. Kirk is about to Kirok himself to death when Kid Slug and, <laughs> Kid slug and Scott beam down in the nick of time. The slug things decide that the simple little humanoids are not so bad, really. Just a little slow. Uh, tell them to come back in a few million years when they're more evolved. And then send the crew on their way, where there'll be no trouble at all. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to do that. You, that that's okay. If you only got the one guest shot, yeah. you better you better throw one in there. <laughs> I I have to ask. You mentioned this when we were uh, when we were watching the episode together, and you mentioned it in your summary. Dick bats. Is that something you made up, or is that an official? Isn't name that for what those... uh, I believe in the previous episode? Some guest called them. <laughs> I mean, I think that's be. what. Yeah. And and maybe, I, I think that was Brian now that you mentioned it, raped by dick bats. Yes, yes. That could very well be, and I, I credit where it's due if he yes. came up with that. I don't want to... Yes, you know. I didn't come um, up with it. But something, this batch of episodes especially, we mentioned this before, that there are several pterodactyl-type creatures mm -hmm. in a number the of these episodes. Creatures, I think. But they're just like changed well, the material there. The, yeah, the, the first ones that we saw had little springs for mm -hmm. feet, like little... Mm -hmm. Coiled point, tentacle point, things. Flap, flap. Yeah. <laughs> no but they springs. <laughs> but they have um. They always have that same uh, sound screechy effect, sound. Same, you know, yeah. Like, like a baby crying. Um. Yeah. 
And it's every single time. And and in these four episodes, I think we got three different kinds. And, yep. and I have been seeing and hearing that sound effect all my life. Because I, I, I told you this during the watch-along. Uh, He-Man, the cartoon, was one of the first TV shows I'd ever seen as a kid. And mm-hmm. so since then, I've and seen Filmation used things. the hell out of that too because they love they love bird creatures in on He Man. I as think well, they so. may have reused the same yep. model and painted it gray for Shira and made them like Hordak flying things. Quite probably. Yeah. Filmation is well known for uh, they they should have done Captain Planet because they know all about recycling. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. Um. I, I just love the idea that these things are like chasing the Enterprise through the galaxy. Yeah, they're just like, uh, like they beat them to each planet by about ten minutes. Yeah, they're, they're like species eight four seven two only more tenacious. Better animated. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> as as Matt pointed out, there must be like ten different episodes entitled "Eye of the Beholder." Yeah. Throughout all the various Star Trek, uh, and I didn't actually look that up, but I just assumed that that must be true. It's funny because it's true. Ah, <laughs> uh, comedy. <laughs> hey, don't get a sued, boy. <laughs> uh, I, I really like the aliens. Actually, I like the design of them. Yes, um, I like the way that they don't think quite the same as humans do. That there's really a communication barrier there. I just, I like. I, I say this over and over again because once we get into the next gen era shows, yes. we're not going to see exotic aliens anymore. No. no, it's all forehead bumps. Oh yes, yeah, and I, I really like non-human aliens that don't really work on the same level as we do these things think so advanced and so fast and so you know yeah, their they, entire they, time scale having is a hard different. time mm-hmm. yeah they're having a hard time understanding what what the little like i think spock's uh uh you know uh like like a balloon and something bad happens <laughs> his his analogy was uh it's like an ant farm and something bad happens yeah it's like it's like a human trying to understand what's going on in an ant farm you kind of understand but mm. not really yeah I like that. I, I mean, this episode has its problems, but but I like, you know, I, I like alien aliens. I, I like that there are creatures. It's a creature feature, start to finish. Yeah. You but know. they're not monsters. They're, yeah. Creatures. They're, Good you old, know, you know, Ray Harry. It's a Ray Harryhausen episode, actually. A bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I you see that. You get down I, on the planet. They were fighting uh, stop motion skeletons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get down on the planet. Or if these. Cyclops guy, then there's, you know, uh, the other one. <laughs> Yeah, the rock monster the, the that they kept are... shooting at to make stronger. Yes, and then it clutches his neck and goes, "Oh!" <laughs> it reminds me if there was a Space Coast episode where they were they were um, not not the original Space Coast, but Coast to Coast, where yeah, they were being um, yeah, where they're being attacked by uh, pods or something, hmm. and and he's shooting this pod with his uh, with his uh, what do you call it? His uh, power band, hmm. and it seems to be feeding on the rays. Well, stop shooting it. What now? <laughs> <laughs> you <It's> sarcasm. Like this... <laughs> <laughs> and the, as you mentioned, at one point, Bones gets trapped under that thing. And and just, oh my he just God. like flops it. <laughs> I, I think we should make an animated GIF of just that bit. Hey, if you're volunteering, by all means. <laughs> <laughs> oh my He's God, that's so me. funny. It's um. It's one of those things where uh, we were watching, and I happened to be opening my browser to check something on Memory Alpha or something, and you guys are cracking up. I'm like, what, what's going on? What, what? Unfortunately, they showed it again because it's filmation. They'll always show it again. Yeah, well, yes. And yeah, it was well worth that. It won't, be the fir- it won't be the first, or sorry, it won't be the last time we'll see Bones trapped under a giant monster with his legs wiggling around. 
Probably not. Wait, is, is that a euphemism? Sure. Lie <laughs> well. Vishal, you mentioned the uh, the force field, where Kirk's basically doing the um, the mime bit where he's yes. trapped in a box. Yes, there are all just these, holds his hands up. Yeah, there are all these force fields mentioned throughout the show, and you know, yes, they're invisible force fields, but the only way they seem to show them is by Kirk holding his hands up, not doing really anything, not even pushing <laughs> against anything. It's just like, yeah, I, there's a force field. Yeah, yeah it sure is there, and mm. now I'm gonna walk against the wind. Yep, here, Spock, take hold of this rope, which is also here. <laughs> I'm going to confuse the creature by walking down these stairs, but there are no stairs. <laughs> Where did I go? That's very nice, Captain, but I think I'll take the turbo lift. <laughs> now, now, we're, now we're just reenacting um, Austin Powers. Oh, God, yeah. That's, that's not cool. Oh. So how about uh, Kirk mentioning that he's been to Cannabis 3? It's <laughs> a weird throwaway line there. And what did you see there, Captain? By a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, I've had those days. <laughs> uh, no, I, I like I said, overall, I enjoyed this episode. It had uh, it had a, a nice basic concept. Mm. Although, as Vishal pointed out, there's um the plot here has been used many, many times. It's the original Star Trek plot. It's the plot of the cage. It's the plot of well, the menagerie of sorts, and they keep reusing mm-hmm. it in every Star Trek show, in some way or the other. It's either aliens well, I mean, or you know. Other... It, it's not a bad basic hmm. sci-fi idea. It's I mean, a, I see yeah. as long as you have a new angle on it, it's not a bad idea. I mean, it's a classic story. You just get a bunch of people, you put them in a confined space, and you make them think their way out, or you know, fight their way out. Yeah, I, I, I something tells me in the back of my head, and I can't think of specifics, but I think there was a Twilight Zone like this too. Hmm. I think so, Probably. yeah, because it seems familiar to me in in other like not just Star Trek settings, but yeah. But, also, Vishal, did did you mention I I don't remember the um the captain that they were there to to rescue initially. He's, uh, he's got that sort of um. He's Lieutenant Commander Markel, a... and he's got this sort of you know pip pip Johnny Gordon. It's a don't you know? Pleasure to meet you, Captain Kirk. I think that was one of James Doohan's alternate. Like when he auditioned for Scotty, he had a few different nationalities. Yes, I, so he's I, like, well, I could do English, or I could do, you know. I, I think I described I it assume... as uh, Scotty, Welshy, and Foppy. <laughs> and this was Foppy. This yes. was one that was turned down. God, but, I would love know. if if that had been Scotty's actual voice for the entire series. Well, you uh, you you had a you had a you painted a pretty vivid picture of yes. what you thought he should really look like. Yes. Okay. Max was the best. Yes. Got like a tennis racket and a sweater around his <laughs> neck. Well, uh, well, Captain Kirk, I thought we could maybe take in a spot of cricket before before the adventure. <laughs> then those slugs really start laughing at them. Cricket. And, and by by spot of cricket, you do realize it would take five days to play. Well, of course, yes. <laughs> and then some robots show up and kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's the only cricket that I I care to acknowledge. Yes. All right. Any anything more about this one, or? Um, well, there there was the fantastic, you know, Kirk going all K Rock. Yeah, that oh, that God. definitely uh, In deserves my mention. Head? It, it... <laughs> so what happened to the baby? <laughs> the baby. Yeah, they're fact, destroying think... me. <laughs> I was just uh, I was just taking a look here to see what your your quote was because I don't want to I don't want to step on you there and no you you chose a different one yes so I I'll could've... I'll drop something in here so people can hear mm. uh, 
The best thing we can do is... What is it? They're in my head. What happened to the baby? What happened? Some, some first class. Because Shatner's really subdued for most of the animated series. Yeah. I think he just showed up and did it all in an afternoon, and he didn't get worked up the way he does. No. And he's sort of more high-pitched in this one. He's just, like, going through the lines quicker rather than the in the original series where he's just like, whoa. Yeah, no, I, I picture them just handing him 20 scripts mm. and highlighting his parts, and he's just sitting in the booth for, like, two hours, yeah. reading it all, and then going off to do TJ Hooker stuff. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then <laughs> cashing the check immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have, a, you have an alternate title for us, Michelle? Uh Yes, my alternate title is, Why Must I Be a Vulcan in Love with Alien Zoo Animals? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> And your quote? Um, I could have gone for the easy rocking it up bit, but I just love random bones and Spock banter more, so... My shoes are full of sand. Doctor, your lack of scientific interest is amazing. Yeah, that's that's always our fallback. If there's ever a good couple of lines between uh, Bones and Spock, there's a few times where either of us is like, I don't know what to use. <laughs> yes. Uh, bones and then Spock. Matt will say, Matt will say, what about at uh, 2115 there? There's a, oh, yeah, okay. I love how random this Bones- one is. Yeah, there's, there's absolutely no need for it, but uh, <laughs> always a delight. You know. All right, it, and it's, uh, it's like the you know, like the uh, like the setup for that Monty Python bit with Hitler in the first episode. You know, my dog has no nose. How does he smell? <laughs> Awful. <laughs> nice. Okay, and uh, the 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 last episode we're doing here is also yours. Uh, tell us about the jihad. The jihad. Or is it just Jihad? I actually don't know. I think it's the Jihad. No, it's the Jihad. That sounds like a Seinfeld title now. (laughs) Well, the Jihad is an actual Arabic term, which most people know now. Well, right, exactly. We and and it's it's it seems a little um like it it seemed a little exotic when Mm -hmm. I was a kid and I saw this episode, but then sort of post nine eleven, it doesn't seem quite so quite so fanciful anymore. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So tell us about that. Spock and Kirk are enlisted by the cat-like Vedala people to join a team of specialists for a mission of galactic importance. The rest of this team, whose names are all R and Zar and stuff, including include <laughs> Birdman, who never uncrosses his arms, Lizard Guy, who is awesome, uh, but now doesn't do anything, so I don't know how he warrants this, but he is awesome. Yeah. B- bug Dude, the Cowardly Bug, who is cowardly, and my favorite... <laughs> Barbarian Joan Crawford. <laughs> Birdman explains that the brain patterns of his people's religious leader, Alar, who must be, you know, uh, related to Ewa from Avatar, is stored in this yeah. fa- fancy piece of sculpture, and that's been stolen. And if they ever find out, his race of giant warrior chickens, the Score, are going to unleash their fury on the known universe. The Score are going to war. Get it? <laughs> the MacGuffin, the, you know, the, the big sculpture thing, is located somewhere mm-hmm. on a geologically unstable mad planet. Three expeditions to find this fancy artwork have failed, and our ragtag team of misfits must now do the impossible. They arrive on planet mad with their wits and a completely ineffective space buggy. Looks like something out of the Flintstones, seriously. <laughs> it does. 
Barbarian Joan Crawford tell Joan Crawford tells him to go in the always useful that way, and Birdman flies to scout ahead while Joan hits on Kirk, which he's totally unprepared for since he actually seems to have a personality. The open-top buggy rides around in crappy weather past picturesque volcanoes. Birdman senses the soul of Alar in a giant crystal yurt, and the buggy is attacked by lava flow. To which Spock remarks. Volcanic activity is to be expected. Instead of the more appropriate, Oh no, lava! <laughs> Spock and Bug Guy hotwire the buggy to do more than 88 miles per hour, while the rest try to kill the lava with some rocks. The buggy hits a tiny bump, throwing Spock out of the vehicle. Kirk leaps to save him despite Spock's protests, and since the buggy can't seem to scale a modest slope, they abandoned it. They abandon it to the lava and continue on foot while an instant blizzard springs up. Birdman flies away some more to check if the yurt's still there and Bug Guy nearly falls down a crack. Lizard Guy carries him the rest of the way and now they are best friends. Then Birdman flies <laughs> away some more. The giant crystal yurt looks like one of scores, one of these scores uh, races temples and Bug Guy gets to hacking the exploding locks when, oh no, dick bats. Not again. <laughs> Only this time they're robot dick bats. Birdman tussles with the dick bat and they go swooping away and explode off stage. The door finally opens. The party enters to find the soul of Alar, which looks like a giant glowing knot. Sabotage. And pronounced that way too. The door shuts on them and Kirk success, uh, suspects one of them is a traitor. And then he says sabotage. No, not sabotage. Sabotage. Yeah. They shuffle along a narrow ledge, all except Lizard Guy, who is apparently unable to walk on walls. Yeah, right. And they reach the floaty <laughs> knot when they're fired upon by Birdman? He lets them in on his evil plan to return his now benign race to their bloodthirsty chicken ways. <laughs> Birdman turns the gravity off so they can fight a honorable floaty battle. And Kirk and Spock take him on because, you know, Spock has just had a lot of practice in that thing. Mm -hmm. Catching Mm -hmm. evil Big Bird by the wings, Spock hitches his foot on the giant knot thing and they're all beamed back to the clearing where Cat Lady sends Birdman off to Space Arkham Asylum. (laughs) Oh, and uh, when Spock and Kirk beam back to the Enterprise, only two minutes seem to have passed and soon their memory of the events will fade. Meanwhile, Cat Lady goes off with the giant knot to make more delightful YouTube videos. I gotta say, if, if this show generates one thing, apart from the, the great logo that you made for us, I want uh, I want a new internet meme to be, oh no, dick bats. <laughs> I hope so too. Doesn't that just seem like it should be accompanied by a picture of those pterodactyls and, you know. Make that's it so. T- that's your new Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, dick bats. <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh, yeah, this, shit. This, this, this was... I, a fantasy story. There was yeah. almost no science fiction elements to this. This was just, you know, let's send our guys on a quest. Mm-hmm. Actually, when we uh, last week did uh, Time Trap, and there were all the different aliens sitting around the table, I, I confused that with this one, because I remember Kirk and Spock and a bunch of different, you know, mm. assorted aliens, and it's actually this one. I think they pulled it off a little better here than they did in the terrible Magics episode. Like, yeah. it still feels a little out of place in a sci-fi show, but it, it, if you put aside... The basic problems. It's kind of fun. It's kind of a good character piece. And yeah, because bad. I think the central the central problem is still a sort of a science fictional one rather than a fantasy one. You know, they're trying to uh, 
they try to get this uh, this race to either you know start a war or not and that's that's yeah um, but i mean you know there's there's the soul thing and yeah. there's, i mean there's some some fantasy trappings mm-hmm. i wasn't crazy about but but essentially it's you know let's let's stick together a bunch of specialists on mm-hmm. a mission and and let them play off each other i mean that's kind of a classic dramatic setup there yeah. uh, and the good thing and is i like that since it's a sort of mm-hmm. uh, the science fiction take on it is that the soul is kind of worthless you know Mm-hmm. That's what Birdman. Yeah, that's that's true. You know, he's like, yeah, that it, thing. It, <laughs> it it felt like a D and D campaign to mm-hmm. me. It felt like, yeah, at the beginning they even do the roll call. Mm-hmm. We're like, Spock, you're good with this. Uh, uh, I am uh, so bug guy. You're good with you, locks. You have the power of heart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody's got their role. And mm-hmm. Bug guy from the race of cowards. <laughs> I they don't even have names. Isn't he, it says that. Yeah, we're a race of cowards. Isn't his name like M6 M- or something like yeah. that? Yeah, M2 Green. Voiced very well right. by David Gerald, I must say. Yeah, he gave it kind of a, you know, oh, yeah. I don't know about these guys. Like, but it was, I, I kind of liked it. He There's the, the maggoty Mr. Hengus. <laughs> but, but as characters go, all these characters were very yeah. strong and distinct. I, like, they weren't just generic I mean, background guys. I want to sword the lizard guy t-shirt. Yeah, that dude yeah. rocks. And he yeah, didn't he do did. anything. No, he no. didn't. He's like, in fact, like you said, you know, when he got to the point where they got to climb the wall, he's like, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, he's like, Ugh. <laughs> I'm not kinda, built for that. And he kind of sounds like a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get up there. And you know, I, I wonder if he was meant to be a Gorn or maybe just a different. I, I don't know because he looks to me. He looks like an iguana man. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it, my thought was, you know, like on Planet of the Apes, they have the chimps and the gorillas. Maybe yep. on the Gorn planet, there's different mm. like variations of lizard. I think that, that guy's. Cool. I think that guy's just a maverick. You know, he must be like a space pirate, and then he shows up to work, and they're like, "Where are your pants?" And he's like, "I don't want to wear pants." <laughs> <laughs> he's Bosk. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that. I really liked uh, Lara. What was her name? Oh, Lara? she was awesome. Yeah, the... Barbarian Joel Crawford. I didn't make. Yeah, I didn't make the Joan Crawford connection until you just said that. Mm-hmm. But now, kind of thinking back, you're absolutely right. I think they were... no wire hangers, Captain. <laughs> I think they were trying but... to make her unattractive, but they really it didn't work out that well. Well, yeah, she's no. kind of a barbarian lady. And uh, she has, like, these huge fucking eyebrows. Yes, but... Uh, but at one point, they say that she's human. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's not an alien. She's just a human. So, I don't know. It's, uh, she was, like, one step away from dragging Kirk away for snoo stew. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, she in, does kind of the, in the previous episode, they did call Spock a human as well, inadvertently. Uh, oh, that's true. Maybe people just uh, confuse human and humanoid. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe she's a, a an alien and somebody just kind of... A humanian. Uh, screwed that up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I initially thought it was Major Barrett. I'm like, oh, nice job. She did a different voice, but now I checked out on it, and no, it's not Major Barrett. No. So never mind. But it's kind of a nice May West. Hey, yeah. Why don't you come up and see me sometime? <laughs> no, she had she had great chemistry with Kirk. There's a, there's a lot of uh, well, really fun moments between the two. Well, of them. well, she had great lines, and Kirk was just going like, interesting or fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, at one point. He's like uh, another time, maybe. Yeah. And you know that means uh, yeah, I'll call you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he won't. <laughs> There's a long so, list of another times of women with another time written. Yeah. Down. If 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 he wanted to have her, he would he would do it there. Yeah. He doesn't wait until later. Like lava. Not really. Who cares about the lava? Yeah. Well, l- let's Spock handle that. He's he, we're fine. There's there's one little exchange between Kirk and Spock. 
where he's like, uh, fuck, don't go alone. I don't want to lose the best science officer in Starfleet. And the lizard guy yes. basically says, Jesus, just kiss. <laughs> that is why we love he lizard guys so much. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, if you could, I, I don't remember the exact line. Something like, if you two are done patting each other on the back. Yep. Like, it was, like it was that, kid yeah. safe, but it was, yeah, it was, the basic tone was. Uh, Why don't you go a get room. a room? Yeah. <laughs> Which was great. And uh, and then, then there was that thing at the end where uh, they were gone for two minutes. Why? Yeah. J- okay. Magic. Like I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that twist before, and it makes sense if you're, you know, going through the Guardian of Forever or something like that. But here, yeah, but it just, they just like beam down to some planet. Well, yeah, it felt kind of tacked on. Or maybe you know, uh, <laughs> Sulu was tripping balls. Is you know, <laughs> it's like two minutes. Oh, Oh, sure. You guys were gotten for two minutes. <laughs> I in, I imagined a lizard man and a bird. And you were there, and you. And you, and you. And there was this girl, and she'd totally not done her eyebrows. I could have done it for her, but, yeah. <laughs> also, I had a gun. So, <laughs> so um, the, the, the lead chick the ferret woman as matt called her yep the was she meant to be a kazinti because she's very similar to that she, model but it's similar but she's supposed to be a vedalan who have like ah, magic ah. powers of some kind well and they uh, sure magic why not yeah her magic my, scream powers my favorite <laughs> yes. thing magic <laughs> I, I can you imagine that uh creature woman person uh at a restaurant you know ordering food it'd be like i'll have one of these and one of these get them now <laughs> <laughs> she leaves a big tip to make up for it she knows it's awkward this food is satisfactory <laughs> I uh, the, the bird man would have been more I don't know more interesting to me had he not just been a background mm-hmm. character in uh, yesteryear yeah okay. where he's just standing in front of the guardian of forever for some reason I just love that he was constantly flying off to go look ahead. It totally looked like he was just like the la- like the laziest character ever on. Like before you know he's the traitor. Yeah. He's just like, "I'll go scout ahead." Oh, well, do you want to carry a backpack or something? No. All right. Well, Yeah, and what, what's her name? Lara even said, "I'm I'm a scout. I can do that." No, no, no. It's fine. Ah! <laughs> like that's the reason they brought her was cuz she's yeah. a good scout. <laughs> Instead, she filled she filled the uh Trying to have sex with Kirk. Uh, space well, w- and the would crew. you would you rather have it the other way around? Touché. No, it's a nice refreshing change. No, I, that I mean, someone's hitting on him and making him uncomfortable. No, I mean the Birdman hitting on Kirk. <laughs> I would love that. Red, uh, you know he probably look. Let me take you for a little spin. <laughs> He'd probably be like, "Hey, you know what? Okay, I've never you done know, it with a Birdman before." Yeah. So what, what's the deal with the feathers? What? Uh, how does that work? <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I, you know, overall, like I said, I'm not crazy about sci-fi and fantasy colliding and, and magic and all that. But as far as, you know, basic plot and basic elements go, this was a pretty decent episode, I thought. Yeah. Just fun. Good characters. It, it's always impressive on a show like this when you have 22 minutes to get to know yeah. a bunch of characters you'll never see again and they actually make an impression. Mm. Yep. I'll, I'll never forget buggy. you, Lizard Man. <laughs> oh, and the buggy, yes. Let's oh, not forget God, that. that. Fucking... The more we watch this, the more I can't believe that there's not, like, a G.I. Joe-style, like, <laughs> toy line for this show. Because they keep introducing these little playset-looking things. 
Yeah, it looks like that 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 the only reason that buggy was in there was to sell them to kids. Yeah, exactly. It even M- looked much like, like the Starfleet co- boat and all that other stuff. Yeah, like it even looked like it had a Cobra logo on the side of it. <laughs> well, mind you, this was made in 1973, which uh, at that point you could not have uh, the toy commercial stuff. Yeah, like mm-hmm. the whole the whole thing about Transformers and GI Joe and He Man was that they had ju- the FCC in America had just lifted the law that said you can't have cartoons that sell toys. Mm-hmm. So in the seventies they couldn't do that. So I don't know. Yes, you heard, there you go. You Starfleet, heard, bu- Starfleet buggy comes with everything you see here. Your parents put it together. In Batters the seventies you heard interesting toys like James Bond guns, you know, which was I don't know which kids went to see that. Yeah, exactly. That's these kids are lining up to see Goldfinger. I mean, I <laughs> I saw Goldfinger when I was six, but you know, my parents was very yeah, but most kids at the time probably not. <laughs> Your your kid your, your parents were cool and uh, went around <laughs> kicking people. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most people's parents aren't that cool. No, I know this for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, o- overall not not hmm. a bad episode. Uh, any anything more, you guys? Uh, no, not really. No. All right, uh, Vishal, you got an alternate title for this one? Yes, I have two actually. So I just oh. make them one title and put a semicolon in between because, you know, that works. <laughs> yeah. So my alternate title is The Fellowship of the Knot, colon. <laughs> it turns out it's Birdman. <laughs> okay, that, that's fantastic. I couldn't not do that. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Um, This is a really Futurama-heavy episode this week for some reason. <laughs> just going to happen naturally. Um, and I, I almost stepped on your uh, your quote earlier. I do apologize for that. But there is a great exchange yeah, I mean, that you it, wanted to, to set up here. It's definitely one of the best exchanges of the the, the whole episode. Since the rest of it is sort of so serious and you know in tone. Yeah. And here you've got Lara just like in the middle of this volcanic. You know, volca- lava is about to kill all of them, and she's like, "Yeah, mm, Kirk, how about that? I could hit on you, <laughs> and I am." Mm. <laughs> I tell you true. I find you an attractive man. If we were together, the trip would be easier. And if anything happened, why, uh, we'd have some green memories. I already have a lot of green memories. Oh. What I like is that would have been a risque line in the live action series. Yes. Like yep. There's a clear implication of sex there. Mm-hmm. But then putting it on a kid's show like- just elevates it to a whole other level. You know, can we call it blue memories? Uh, no, no, let's call it green memories. That'll throw them off. <laughs> yeah, that's. But I love that. That's not the first line that Kirk's had where they, he implies that he's a whore. Like, <laughs> I think I think it's one of those things where the show had been off the air for four or five years. Mm. The writers were aware of of the fan yeah. perception, and they started writing that into the scripts. Because mm. there was the other time in in last week's batch of episodes where he says, uh, "Oh yes, I've seen I've seen the dance of the Orion." <laughs> Many times. <laughs> many, many times. And, and then just Scotty starting to be them. kind of self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, he was hit on the head and hated all women. Yeah. So. Red Jack, Red Jack, Red Jack. <laughs> Red Jack. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Well, that's it. And as I said, la- next week will be it. We'll be finished with the animated series already. Yeah. Um, Michelle, definitely a pleasure. Um, yes. We'd, we'd like to have you on again. Um, this was uh, this was kind of a, let's try something new. Let's We know you're into this, mm. but... Uh, this is a lot of fun. We need to do this again. Yes, absolutely. And um, that's it. Matt, say your catchphrase. Yeah, folks.
The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.